Straight Talk Live, exploring human, digital, and social transformations. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. I am one of your co-hosts, Rick Snyder. I'm the CEO of Invisible Edge, the author of Decisive Intuition, and very proud co-host of this nonprofit that is really dedicated toward asking the powerful questions around human transformation, digital transformation, and social impact. And basically, what are the conversations we need to be having in our ever-changing world? Well, today is going to be one of those around reality, around virtual reality, augmented reality, getting square with our own reality. But first, I want to introduce our other co-host, Af Maholtra. Af, take it away. Thank you, Rick. Uh, welcome, everyone, for this uh, fantastic show on um, ARVR, Augmented and Virtual Reality. Um, I'm, of course, the co-creator of uh, StrayTalk.Live and also the co-founder of Growth Enabler. Uh, today's a very important show for us. Uh, I'll talk to you through. I'll talk you through why a little bit later. We have a tremendous guest and a, a friend, in fact, who I met uh, many years back, 2016. And uh, serendipity has been at work. And uh, suddenly, through LinkedIn and various other sources, I realized um, our guest today has written a book that's literally been released last month called Reality Check. Um, which is about virtual and augmented reality. And then we reconnected and um, bish bosh bash, we are here today. And so I'll let Rick do the intros. And so let's crack on with this and I'll tell you a little bit more about um, how this relationship was formed and, and why we're so excited about augmented virtual reality. So Rick, over to you, let's crack on with this conversation. I'm a big fan of science fiction. And one of the things that's always been inspired for me is just looking at different realities, alternative universes, different ways that we can interact with each other from dist where distance doesn't have to be a factor. Um, how, how can we play with time in different ways? And all the laws of physics with quantum physics right now are showing us that what we think is so solid and real actually might not be. And there might be ways of having different experiences that go beyond the physical realm and the physical space. So uh, for me, I've always been interested also in virtual reality, augmented reality, and yet it goes so much more beyond gaming and so many more incredible uses in technology, how it can impact all of our different sectors. That's exactly what we're gonna explore today is how are companies, how are organizations using AR, VR? What are ways that we can use this to be even closer, get each other's world, uh, even bridge some of our divides that we're all facing these days? And so without further ado, I wanna introduce our special guest, Jeremy Dalton. Jeremy, welcome to Straight Talk Live. Thanks a lot, Rick. Hi, hi, everyone. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. So thank you very much for having me. Excited to chat about uh, virtual reality and augmented reality with you today. And, and Jeremy, we know that you are uh, head of XR at PwC, and you're also a well-known speaker. You're on the speakers tour at South by Southwest and the Twitter headquarters in London. And sometimes in your past, you've been a <coughs> chartered accountant. Uh, but right now, <laughs> keep on the download, on the download. <laughs> that's your so you disclaimer. Have... That's your disclaimer. <laughs> but you have an incredible story of literally being an accountant at PwC. And then, how did you get to XR um, of PwC London, like uh, of UK? How did that happen for you? So I joined PwC back in September 2011, and this was on the the graduate scheme. As part of that, I was meant to be doing a little bit of time in the audit practice and then moving to business recovery. So I spent six months in audit, moved on to business recovery, got involved in a lot of different projects from, uh, you know, we were involved in Lehman Brothers during the administration. If anyone knows about Game, the high store group, uh, when they went into administration, we were also dealing with that. Um, so that was quite exciting, but uh, my, my heart really lay in technology and I wanted to pursue a career in that direction. So I managed to, to negotiate a secondment over to the technology practice in PwC. Now, this wasn't emerging technology yet, mind you, but I slowly got to deal with innovative technologies like blockchain, virtual reality and augmented reality, the Internet of Things and drones and so on. Um, but as you can imagine, it's incredibly difficult to try and keep on in touch with all of these technologies and all the advancements and what they mean and their implications for business. Um, so I said to myself, I've really got to specialize in one area uh, to, to, offer some, to offer some real deep value. So um, that's why I, the reason I chose virtual reality and augmented reality is because I had experience with all of these technologies, but VR and AR are such a special genre of technology. They're so 
unique, uh, visceral, experiential, um, compared to everything else, it was something that I could see was going to have a real impact on both our personal and professional lives. So I did what I could. I experimented with the technology. I built stuff for it. I um, started speaking about it. I started you know, keeping up with the latest updates and slowly built a brand in this space. And this was starting at about 2014, 2015. And um, people began to associate me with, with VR and AR, calling me in to give you know, small presentations here or there. And then as luck would have it, PwC made a major investment back in 2016, where they brought on board a technology and investments executive board member. So this is a dedicated, a dedicated person on PwC UK's executive board that specializes in technology and investments. And um, I got to know, it was John Andrews at the time, I got to know him. I built a business case for, for having a VR and AR dedicated practice in mm. PwC. And uh, thankfully it passed through in September, 2017. And uh, the rest is history. Hmm. You know, that's such a good lesson for everyone listening out there where, you know, you have your place on the org chart potentially in a company. And yet by keep listening to your passion and your purpose and taking initiative and advocating for what you believe in and yourself and having those conversations, what can happen, hmm. even if there's not a role created for you that's obvious, you can actually create that. Hmm. Yeah, keep persevering, and then eventually, luck or time or both will will be on your side. You know, if you keep pushing it hard enough. Mm. So tell us, um, Jeremy. So we met in 2016 when um, my my existing company, GrowthMade, was at this reports on on augmented virtual reality or VRAR, and um, you know that was it feels like ages ago. Of course, five or six years ago, and even then we were talking about the the sort of startups in that space, the sort of mild, timid investments that were being made in ARV at that point. Of course, that's grown rapidly. And how, you know, you had the, on the virtual reality side, you had the big, um, at that, that point, you had limited, a limited set of headsets. Uh, and used to, you know, some of them worked really well. Others, you know, people found um, they felt a little bit sick or unwell when they, you know, put them on. There was this, uh, on the, there was this sort of viewpoint on, in the market then, well, actually, this is not really going to take off. It doesn't feel like it's natural to wear this heavy headset on your forehead. Um, and then I recall augmented reality started to pick up became more popular because then Google Glass, its first launch was around that time, it, although it didn't go too well for them at that point, maybe maybe the return would be more effective. And then, um, you know, uh, there were companies like, um, uh, was it Blipper? Uh, companies like yeah. Blipper who were really hot in augmented reality through the app. And unfortunately, they went down. And there was loads, loads of stuff going on. They're, soft they're back, bank. by the way. Are they back again? They're right. back. They've resurrected. They're back. Okay, and um, and then I remember, you know, SoftBank was going nuts investing in Improbable. Um, I remember we used to use algorithms to predict which companies would get funded. It was just like, it was just epic. It's crazy. I've lost touch with ARVR, and I think a lot of our guests, um, they've heard about this stuff. Some are technologists, by the way, and some are corporate executives. We have entrepreneurs, we have academics, economists, the whole the whole lot. Tell us in, 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 your, in your words, and before we come to your book and, and why you did it and what's, what's uh, fascinating about it, uh, what, what really is augmented or virtual reality? And uh, describe it for us. And a couple of examples of use cases, like how real life examples of where this stuff's being deployed. And then we'll, we'll, we'll organically move on to the, the next part from there. Absolutely, absolutely. So. It's, it can get a little bit confusing. You know? the, whole, the whole space itself, the industry is trying to find umbrella terms to describe so you can right. communicate and talk about it in a more uh, you know, seamless, less awkward way. And the, the terms that are, that are winning out, um, there are three main umbrella terms. There's XR, which understandable. Some people you know, mention it. It stands for extended reality. Um, then you've got immersive technologies, which is another umbrella term. And then finally, spatial computing is, mm. is catching on amongst the, amongst the industry uh, uh, themselves. But um, all of those basically are trying to define two main technologies. We've got virtual reality on one side, which is all about immersion. It's about engrossing you in a completely different environment, a different time, 
a different space or a different set of circumstances. And then on the other side, you've got um, augmented reality. Augmented reality is all about uh, information. It's about you still being in the world that you're in around you, but presenting an overlay of information on top of that real world to assist you in some sort of way to make your life easier, to help you navigate, uh, to help you perform interactions and uh, you know procedures on machinery and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, if you ever get confused, just don't worry. There are two main terms. It's virtual reality and augmented reality. And you can use the umbrella term XR to describe both of those. And their, their applications are, are massively wide ranging and they're, they're wide ranging both within the consumer world and the business world. So starting with the consumer world and thinking about virtual reality, this mm. ability to, to take you to another place or another, uh, another time, it has applications, firstly, and most obviously the ones that everybody will know about in video gaming, in entertainment, um, but then there are less well-known cases which actually have a lot of in interesting connections to the business world, to the professional world, uh, as well as um, you know to the to the economy, the the economics of how uh, of how we function as a society. Things like live events, for example, whenever you go to or whenever you want to watch a a sports game, let's say. And I know when I use the term uh, football. Rick, you've probably got one thing in mind, uh, maybe another thing, but say you're going to a football game, right? And um, you have a few options. You can either watch that game live, right, in a stadium, or you can choose to watch it broadcast on a TV, an iPad, some sort of flat screen, basically. Mm -hmm. And those are basically your two main options. Mm -hmm. The thing, though, is you also now have this middle option with virtual reality, mm -hmm. this ability to feel like you're there, front row seats, um, and your ability to naturally look around with your head and, uh, and feel immersed in that stadium atmosphere and watch the game go by, uh, but at the same time not needing to actually travel to any physical location. And from an economics perspective or business economics perspective, not needing to occupy a seat in the venue, in the stadium in this case. And this mm. applies whether it's a sports match or whether it's a, uh, you know, a, a musical concert, a the theatrical production, whatever it is. The idea being now that this, this one seat where you're placing a 360 camera that records the entire <clears throat> scene and streams it to you in virtual reality, you can have thousands or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people occupy that mm. seat effectively. Mm. You know, it's all dependent on the infrastructure behind all this. But because of that, you're now able to sell those front row tickets, so to speak, at a much cheaper price because of the volumes associated with it. So it kind of breaks this model previously where we've had limitations in venues on capacity. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what's led to you know, massively inflated prices and ticket touts and scalpers yeah. and all the rest yeah. of it. So it's just a beautiful way of um, a beautiful <clears throat> example of the use of VR in the consumer world. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there are, there are loads of other examples. Maybe I'll just briefly touch upon a few others. Um, you can use augmented reality in your personal lives to help you navigate the world, take you to different places by overlaying uh, navigation instructions and arrows on your real world. And that helps you to, to navigate in, in a more, a less error prone way, because mm -hmm. you, instead of having to make a translation from a 2D map to and orient yourself and figure out where you're supposed to go from there, it's all just displayed in front of you, telling you exactly follow that road and then take a left here. So navigation, then you've got the retail space with clothing and this ability now to try out clothes, to try out accessories like watches, mm -hmm. um, earrings, glasses, sunglasses, mm -hmm. without having to actually have access to the physical products. Now imagine what that does for businesses online when you no longer have to go to a store technically, particularly now in the pandemic, imagine that, you're able to still very deeply connect with these products. So augmented reality is offering a massive or has the potential to offer a massive boost mm. to the retail industry by enabling that greater connection with mm. consumers. And that's just the consumer space. On the enterprise space, you, you can use virtual reality for soft skills training, for practical skills training, you can use augmented reality for remote assistance. Uh, you can use it in a court of law 
the UK court of law has accepted virtual reality as a form of evidence previously. Mm. Um, you can use you can use VR for um, um, all sorts of things relating to you know diversity and inclusion training, and uh, and there are just so many different applications of the technology. It's it's absolutely incredible where you can go with it. Could you give us an example where you're seeing AR, VR um, being a whole enhanced experience? Like, let's say diversity and inclusion training. Typically, these days, if you're not alive in a room, you'll probably see it on video. You'll you do, a, do a video course of some sort, maybe some questionnaires and, and those kind of things, um, polling questions and what have you. How, how would this be a different experience in an AR, VR uh, enhanced situation? Yeah. So as a video you are not involved with that material to a very strong extent. You're, you're a bystander or a third party. You're mm. looking inwards at a scenario. You're looking at it from the outside. Um, so there's less, there's less um, accountability. There's less connection felt to that scenario. When you're in virtual reality, you're definitely not a third party because you are completely enveloped in that scene. Um, mm. If you move your head to the right, you your view in the virtual environment moves to the right uh, you can make eye contact with other people in that virtual environment uh, whether they're whether they're uh, digital avatars with a computer ai algorithm running behind it or real people you can still make that uh, that connection there and uh, i mean as a side note actually and we should discuss this in a bit um very very groundbreaking news that just came out yesterday Unreal, which is a, a game engine similar to Unity, if anyone's heard of it. These are pieces of software that are used to build 3D environments and virtual reality and augmented reality applications. They just released um, a product around creating digital humans. And the level of fidelity is absolutely incredible. You do, you do have a double, you, you, you make a double take at the the those digital avatars because you wonder are those photographs or videos of someone or is it actually some computer generated person mm. it's getting the, the level of graphical quality in these worlds is becoming so so high that you it's difficult to make that distinguishment now oh dating apps are going to be dangerous <laughs> <laughs> well are there going to be hu actual humans behind the dating that's what i'm wondering exactly exactly you you're you're going down a slippery path there buddy <laughs> Um, Very much. We, we, our imagination is wild, and then of course naughty things happen. Uh, I have another question. So um, yeah. this is this is a fascinating topic. Before we we go into um, all of the sort of possibilities, the art of the possible, uh, there are a few fundamental questions that I think um, I'm sure the audience wants to ask you. And I think let, let's first start with um, this co this concept of democratization of new technologies. Uh, it's coming up more and more where we're seeing the divide between the rich and poor um, post-pandemic. We all know what the risks are and the likelihood of certain um, impacts of those risks on society and humanity. Um, you know, just a couple of days ago, Davos, the guys at Davos at World Economic Forum covered this extensively. A lot of work Rick and I have been doing with STL and other projects we're involved in is looking at social impact. We're looking at... Um, you know, the, the, the wealth divide in society. And that's the overarching topic, you know, on STL. The core to this is really, you know, if, if, the, if you've got powerful technologies like AR, VR that can do all of this great stuff for people, how expensive is this? And is this ever going to be affordable for the common person? Um, talk us through that. Give us some perspective and color around that, please cost has has always been an issue since the beginning i mean if you if you look at virtual reality technology through the ages yeah. you can first of all you can take virtual reality in its digital form back to the 1960s when it was first starting to be explored by people like even sutherland you know who created uh, what's arguably the first digital head mounted display now you can argue virtual reality far back far 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 before that but we'll leave that for another time mm. um in the 90s, virtual reality had a, uh, it grew a massive level of hype. Consumers were really excited about the potential. And that led to a lot of, a lot of movies which are, which are questionable. Let's put it that way. I don't know if anyone's seen uh, The Lawnmower Man. I, I quite enjoyed watching it, but um, I think 
many might consider it a bit of a B movie these days, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just goes to show you there was a lot of hype back then, a lot of excitement, a lot of um, expectations from the technology, which were not met. Now, that's despite the technology costing hundreds of thousands of dollars back then, which put it well outside of the realm of, of consumer purchasing ability. Now, let's go to the latest era, jump forward to uh, the latest era of virtual reality in 20, uh, 2012 is when it started, when you had uh, Palmer Lucky, who uh, actually is, um, is, is it on this side here or that side? Yeah, that side there. <laughs> um, he's on, he got on the cover of Time magazine here. And the reason he did that is because he effectively kickstarted this new era. He, in his garage, started to produce this new affordable prototype, which took advantage of the latest processing power that was now made available to us, uh, that afforded us a high quality augmented uh, virtual reality at a decent price level. Yeah. But even back then, now I'm, I'm skipping ahead a bit, but two years later, 20, 2014, Facebook buys Palmer Lucky's little garage startup Oculus for $3 billion. Yeah. Right. Serious amount of money. And in 2016, the first consumer headset hits the market. <clears throat> now, if you that headset required a powerful computer to run. So if you wanted to use virtual reality back in 2016, this is only like four or five years ago now, you needed a high-powered computer. And I'm talking about good virtual reality. You need a high-powered computer and you needed this headset. That's at least $1,500 all in. So yes, somewhat affordable from a consumer perspective, but definitely not a mass market sort of device that can that everybody can access easily. Mm-hmm. Now, consider where we are nowadays, where you have a device like the Oculus Quest 2. It's in a, it's in a genre called loan devices. You don't need an extra computer. You don't need extra peripherals. Uh, it comes with two controllers and that's it. Mm-hmm. You just put the headset on, turn it on, and you're good to go. What, sorry, what's it now, called? I mean, you, you cut out. What, what is it called? What device? It's the Ocula, Oculus Quest 2. Yeah, and what you said it's called something devices. I missed what you said there. Oh, sorry, uh, standalone devices. Standalone, right. That's okay. what they're, yeah, that's what right. they're called. And because you don't need anything extra, it's just mm-hmm. the headset and it's ready to go pretty mm-hmm. much with your two controllers. Now, that device is retailing at $299. So in a matter of four or five years, we've gone from needing an expensive, complicated uh, setup, $1,500, all the way through to what is relatively simple, easy to use, and fairly affordable. It's costing less than a, a gaming console that you might buy for, you know, for Christmas now. So um, I think the, the industry has made incredible strides over the last few years. And in terms of your point of democratization, it's yes, it's not in a perfect place because you still need to, to purchase the hardware at the end of the day to access yeah. it. But it's in a much, much more affordable place. And that will only improve as the costs come down and everything mm-hmm. from the hardware production itself to the software licenses um, to the R&D that goes that goes behind uh, producing all this stuff. Is, is, I presume Moore's law is at work here as well. The devices are getting smaller and, and du- doubling in power and capacity. So if that's the case, what does the supply chain look like, given this whole debacle with China and where geopolitics is these days? And who knows what's going to happen? We, no one knows, really. Um, what's your view on whether this is going to become a $30 device or $29.99 um, in the next five years? Is, is that the case, if it's going to be so pervasive? So I would say that there is a strong chance it could become, could go down to that level if it's assisted by other emerging technologies. So if we think about things like uh, cloud processing and 5G, if those become more mainstream, more affordable, more familiar and used in everyday life, you can see how that applies to virtual reality headsets because there will be no need to manufacture a lot of processing power on the headset itself Mm -hmm. because all of that can be pushed to the cloud and you can effectively have your your headset can just be a dummy receiving device and all it does is is just take pictures that are coming to you over the 5g network from a server farm that is doing all the processing for you back there so at that point you may be the price of the initial hardware may come down tremendously to that level but on the flip side you may have to be drawn into some sort of subscription model to, to to keep that infrastructure going 
So it's there are pros and cons to the situation. You, you'll you'll pay over the long term instead of the short term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it becomes more affordable. It's it's what's going on with gaming right now with arcades, Apple Arcade, or even Amazon, uh, where they're saying you don't need to buy the. Eventually, you don't have to buy a console, which is pro- cost prohibitive, at three hundred bucks or four hundred bucks, a, P- a PS Five or an Xbox, and all of that is on the cloud on your on your on your yeah. computer uh, on your monitor your your TV screen, and you just have the uh, controllers. Right, exactly. and nine ninety nine a month, but that's yeah. way more affordable for a kid or an adult to convince your parents to pay for whoever is paying for it or yourself. That okay, I'm paying ten bucks a month, fifteen bucks a month, but I have all the gaming I can get, and it's all you know on terra terra you know, petabytes of cloud, basically. It's definitely it's more palatable, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you're you're saying there is a prob- there's a chance that democratization might happen through subscription models, uh, run on the cloud on your television or whatever device you're using. Uh, and the price might come down to whatever it is, uh, not two ninety nine, because two ninety nine is way too expensive. All right. For- yeah, because I think I think that's the only reasonable the only reasonable direction to take it to get it down to that extremely low level. Because yes, the price of hardware has always come down and always will continue to come down. But if you think about it, our expectations of what we want from these devices goes up. So we've got this this constant re- rebalancing act where uh, you know, prices are coming down, but expectations are going up, you know, to counterbalance it. So you need more power as a result to manage those expectations. And right. that's kind of what is keeping, you know, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the, um, the the total system cost in check and, and might not get it down to that levels to the level of $20, $30 on its own. Okay, gotcha, Rick. Yeah, with the, with the current with the current pandemic, uh, of course, affecting every all of us in many different ways. I'm just seeing the connections where AR VR has so many opportunities to transcend distance and travel and people feeling connected to each other. Can you can you share some of the most exciting ways that you're seeing some organizations using AR VR right now that? even from the pandemic perspective or what have you as a response to that, what are ways that it's actually enhancing people's lives, connection, communication? What are you seeing on the front lines? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let me give you a first-hand example, like what's happening right now. So I'm just gonna reach over to the VR tower over here and pick one of these headsets up. Mm. So this is an Oculus Quest 1 device. Mm. It's been um, superseded now by one that looks exactly like it, but white in color. And that's the 299 device we're talking about. Okay. Um, but at PwC, we've got hundreds of these headsets, uh, and we've got hundreds of, of other manufacturers' headsets like the Pico, uh, Picos as well. And we're using these right now to distribute to clients and internal PwC teams as well all over the world to do mm-hmm. just what you were talking about, Rick. Because mm-hmm. obviously we're massively constrained by the pandemic we can't meet face to face even in the same city now but mm. we still have to you know we still have to do client projects we still have to engage we have to communicate together we have to work together and collaborate on whiteboards we need to ideate we need to hash mm. things out um, we need to um, explore you know what uh, what all of these ideas will look like and you know cross some out and push some forward that requires a deep level of collaboration that mm. is technically possible via video conferencing platforms like Zoom, like Google Meet and so on. But with virtual reality, it's so much more powerful and so much more impactful. And the only way I can help describe why it's so powerful is think about the situation we're in right now, right? We're all represented by, you know, little square square pieces of, of, of screen real estate on a small 2D screen in front of us. Mm-hmm. Now that's fine, you know, we're talking to each other and it all makes sense, that's okay. But we're not having the same experience. We're not sharing Mm. much of the same experience, which part of it relates to the environment that's around you. I'm in my room, Rick's in his room, Ass in his room, and we're all in our environments, basically. Mm -hmm. But we're being connected by this little bit of screen real estate in front of us here. Mm -hmm. When we're in virtual reality, we are having the same experience. We are in the same place. It's just that that place is not physical. That Mm -hmm. place is virtual and we can look around it together. We can take it in together. We can make eye contact with each other and our digital avatars in that world. I can call someone over and we can walk physically together in this virtual world over to a whiteboard. I can pick up a virtual pen. 
I can start writing on the whiteboard. They can do the same. We can be working together as if we were in the same room working on a real whiteboard. And in some ways, it's actually even more powerful than the real world. Or let's say it's more cost effective or more simple because in the real world, I have to procure whiteboards. I have to procure screens. I have to provide power for those screens. I have to make sure there's enough cable length. All of these sort of physical constraints you have to deal with, you don't have to worry about in the virtual world because it is all software. Yeah. It all appears at the click of a button, a click of a trigger, the sound of your voice. You know, many of us are used to smart speakers now, uh, mm. you know, like Alexa and, and those sort of technologies are being used within virtual reality as well. You know, I don't know why I thought of this. I, th I was thinking of virtual coffee. Like, how does the virtual coffee taste in these conference rooms? But where, where I was going with this is the olfactory sense is the greatest trigger to our memory is how we smell. Do you see that happening in any of these technologies to try to make things even more real by bringing in these kinds of things to trigger our senses in these ways? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, funny thing is there are already devices that allow you to trigger different smells and odors uh, during different scenes of a virtual reality experience. You can actually hook some of these machines up to the software which is running the virtual world around you so that when you are let's say, um, you know, you, you go into a house and you can, you can smell, uh, there's, there's a fire in the corner and you can smell the, the, the crackling of, you know, embers and the wood burning and things like that. Um, you can, it can be activated automatically. The problem is, though, that these solutions tend to be quite clunky and they're, they're, they're not really ready for the consumer market, in all honesty. Um, they tend to get used in more fixed type systems. So, <laughs> arcade environments, um, experiential museum type experiences that are trying to immerse you in, a, in, in, a, in a, a version of history, you know, what happened back in the past, the past event, things like that. Um, I tried the, the semi-consumer level ones and you have to put these little discs into the device and it effectively um, pushes the scent out with a little fan in your face. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it's, it is, it's, it's really a little bit of a, a clunky solution at the moment. Yeah. Sorry, so I was going to say, talk us, um, talking about smells and fragrances and odors, I guess the other thing is even simpler is haptics, so touch. So yes. let's go back to that example of, uh, you know, you, we're collaborating, this, we're doing STL, but we're doing it on virtual reality. It's, an, it's, it's a real consideration, of course, because we're on a flat screen and we're trying to make the do we're trying to make do as much as we can with this flat 2D environment. But we're all desperate to have commonality in terms of the same environment, whatever it may be, the coffee shop, my place, your place, glass of wine, whatever it may be around us. So uh, is there any is there been any progress on haptics? So let's say you touch my shoulder. Again, that's what we're missing, aren't we? This is all virtual. We yeah, hug, touch, high five, whatever it may be, shake it, shaking the hands. Talk us through if there's been any progress there, because uh, I remember it was it was being discussed five or six years absolutely. ago. Absolutely, absolutely. There's been some really exciting progress on the haptics front. So haptics is all to do with your your sense of touch in the virtual world, and I can tell you that what what I'm about to tell you is not at all hype, because I've experienced it firsthand. There is a company. If you want to check them out, it's called they're called Haptics. H A P T X. And uh, they were kind enough to come visit me at the PwC offices in London, and they set up their equipment yeah. um, in our in our space. And I got to try their uh, their haptics gloves. And um, effectively, what these gloves do is you put them on, and they have a lot of little air bubbles that go all across your palm. Hundreds of them, hundreds of little air bubbles on every finger, on every mm. bit of your palm, your thumb, and you have a virtual reality headset on, so you're in VR, you're in this virtual environment. When I go to touch something or someone, you know, to your example, Af, if I go and, you know, touch your shoulder, for example, the software will detect that this area of my hand here is touching, you know, your digital avatar in virtual reality. Therefore, send an instruction to the air compressor to send air only to those bubbles relating mm. to the part of your palm that is touching you. So the end result of all of that, the end effect, is that I feel pressure just on that point that is touching your shoulder. 
So it's creating that sense of it's an artificial connection, but in many ways, it's a natural connection because it's what, what is happening is exactly what you expect. I reach out and touch you and I feel the feedback from it. And that's, mm. that's 100% real. That's not science fiction. That's mm. happening right now. And, uh, you know, they already have products in various organizations all over the world. Mm. And Adi, Adi uh, question on the headset again. Um, in terms of mass deployment and for us to think about using it even for Straight Talk Live, let's say two years down the line, right? And we've got a massively growing community and everyone's like, great. And what you can come on VR, you can come on VR or you can come on Clubhouse or you can meet us on a flat you know, it'll be boring then, right? On a flat Zoom or <laughs> like, what? No way, I'm not gonna come onto that screen. <laughs> not cool. And um, so it is, I find, you know, I've got a few headsets and, and I've used them in the past. The two very important things. One, I felt sick after a while. Have they sorted that out, number one. Number two, it's it's huge, like it's clunky. Like what if I wanna work out, like Peloton, for example. Peloton's absolutely destroying it. You know, the company's multi-billion dollar in valuation. It's just the treadmill uh, with a big video screen. You know, great marketing as well. Good product, don't get me wrong. But imagine uh, working out with with the suit on, like you've. It's a little bit like Ready Player One. If if you if anyone's if you want to know what AR VR really is, if what VR really is, just watch that movie, because it's it's nuts, right? It's it's a crazy movie, and it's the best sort of. It, no matter how imaginative you are, it really does push your imagination to a whole new level. And let's imagine we're in the Ready Player One world where I've got like this machine, like my Peloton treadmill machine. I get on it, I've got my haptic gloves on, I'm, I've got my device on. Now, whether I'm meeting Rick for a discussion because maybe I can't fly on planes for the next number of years, but I still need to connect with my buddy. And when I'm chatting with him, I'm having a glass of wine, we're talking about life, we're talking about, you know, the dates he's been on or whatever it may be. And um, we're having a good conversation. And this this thing is so heavy so are they thinking of shrinking it down and like it's like a it's like glasses is it light what's going what's going on in the hardware world there as well so i'll take your second question about that and then i'll go back to the the sickness yeah. point um yeah. the hardware is definitely um is is becoming smaller um and you can see that with organizations like like huawei like panasonic like uh um like these companies that are coming out with very much I wouldn't say I wouldn't say they're glasses like these ones, right? But yeah. they are definitely not um, as thick as as these sort of headsets here. So yeah. we're talking about something in the middle, maybe half the 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 thickness of that headset there, um, which is fantastic progress and will definitely make it easier for people to uh, to wear them for longer periods of time more comfortably. Yeah. The other point to bear in mind is that it's not only about the total weight of the headset. Yes, that's a factor, but it's also about the center of gravity of the headset. So where is the weight distributed in the headset? Mm -hmm. As you can see with this one, you've got strap here, which mm -hmm. hardly weighs anything, and you've got everything on the front, right? Mm -hmm. That is going to make you feel uncomfortable as a result because it's, it's pushing you to, to lean forward. It's, it's pulling your head down right. effectively yeah. and yeah. grinding into the, you know, the bridge of your nose. <laughs> What a lot of companies have started to do, they started to put a battery pack on the back of the headset. And it could actually make the headset even heavier than it is, but it distributes the weight more accurately. And because of that, the overall comfort is increased. Exactly. So it's interesting, you don't necessarily have to reduce the total weight of the headset, but obviously that is also coming down in addition to the distribution of the weight being managed. Now, from a sickness perspective, this is one of the, the great myths of virtual reality. A lot of people think that they're just going to be sick in VR and VR makes people sick. And that's a rule and it should be avoided at all costs. The, 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 the truth is much more nuanced than that. So first of all, I'll caveat what I'm about to say by saying, yes, some people will feel sick all the time in virtual reality, regardless of what you do. Some people will feel sick initially and will grow a, a tendency or, a, or, or an ability to deal with it. And some people will be absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. Now, people tend to focus on the segment of the population that is always going to feel sick. And as a result, they tend to scapegoat the technology or, or say that it's no longer, you know, it's, it's not suitable, basically. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, 
digital technology or any other form of, of human technology, if it's relating to motion or relative motion, it has always induced sickness throughout humankind's history. Mm -hmm. Let's go back all the way to the ancient Greeks, right? Big seafaring nation, and many were sick back then, seasick. And in fact, the word nausea <laughs> itself comes from ancient Greek. Nause actually means ship, and, and that's where they get that from. Um, in fact, and I don't know many of you know, but uh, the famous... British naval commander, Lord Nelson, he was actually sick, seasick for the majority of his 30 year naval career. Gosh. Going forward into history a little bit more, World War II, the D-Day landings. There mm. was a journalist who was, who was uh, documenting uh, this as it was happening. And he described D-Day as the greatest mass vomiting in the history of mankind. And you can imagine like all of those ships, you know, rocking left and right or causing waves against each other, smashing up against the beaches. And so you can see throughout human history, there's always been sickness caused by these these motion uh, type of technology. So you can be seasick, you can be car sick, you can be air sick, you can even have space sickness, you know, from, from weightlessness in space. And you can even feel sick by watching non-virtual reality media, by just watching 2D videos, you know, and films on screen. In fact, there's a whole website, I think it's moviehurl.com if you want to check it out, but they actually rate movies on their tendency to make you feel sick, depending on how they're directed, because obviously some mm. directors, you know, throw the camera about quite wildly, and that induces this, this sense of uh, nausea. But the reason you ultimately, the reason for all of this, or one of the theories is, you've got this disconnect between what you are seeing and what you are feeling in your inner ear, right? If in virtual reality, I take you to a world and I start messing with the camera, I start throwing you about left or right, yeah, or yeah. I start doing some cinema, cinematographic panning, you know, yeah, but you're yeah. not moving, you know? You're there expecting to be still, but all of a sudden your view mm -hmm. is floating off to the left, mm -hmm. right? That is exactly the type of disassociation mm -hmm. that you get when you've ingested something poisonous. And mm -hmm. as a result, your body picks up on that signal and says, this is not a good situation. I must have ingested something poisonous. Time to eject, eject. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason you feel this way. So there's a lot of factors that go into making you feel more comfortable in virtual reality. And anyone, uh, any producer of VR content that is worth their salt will know best practices for how to manage that piece of content to ensure that it is as, as comfortable as possible for as many people as possible. But right. the, the um, I suppose the moral of this lesson is, if anyone is, is trying out virtual reality for the first time, do not try out a virtual reality roller coaster, please. <laughs> <laughs> I implore you. <laughs> Even for the most hardcore in the VR industry, mm. they don't want to yeah. go near that stuff. <laughs> you know, this is a really good segue to, and we're having some questions come in now. So a reminder to our audience, now's the time to ask your questions. Uh, so one of them is coming in from Facebook. Um, and this one's interesting around... We're talking about a lot about the enhancements and, and how this VR, how this technology can help us get even closer together. What about some of the pitfalls and the shadow side of technology also? Mm -hmm. So, for example, have there been a lot of research and studies done around how it might affect our mental health? Uh, for example, like teens becoming addicted to some of these games where they're escaping into a different reality and not having to deal with their own reality. So I'm curious what your take on that side of the equation is. Yeah, absolutely. And there are, there is always, there are, there are always two sides to the coin when it comes to emerging technologies. And, and the same is true of virtual reality. From a mental health perspective, virtual reality is capable of doing some absolutely amazing things. Um, it is being used right now successfully to manage symptoms of dementia. So um, there's a type of therapy or treatment that's used uh, in dementia patients to try and uh, rejig their memories by taking them back to, you know, their old times, you know, uh, you know, back in the 50s or the 60s mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Um, and but that's obviously very costly because you have to build those environments in, in the real world and you, or you have to make it somehow make it feel real. Mm. But as software, you can very easily or at least relatively easily recreate that. Um, and, and so it's being used in that in those senses as well. 
for soldiers returning from war. Uh, it's being used to manage PTSD. Um, it's being used in the same kind of way to manage phobias by, in a controlled environment, giving you the stimulus that makes you feel afraid, anxious, um, you know, frightened, uh, nervous, whatever those emotions are, and with the help of someone qualified, taking you through that environment carefully. Mm. On the other side, however, yes, mm. there is a lot of potential out there for, ne for negative impacts. And we see that a lot. You can take, um, I'd say you can take uh, notice from the, the gaming world here. And there have been, <laughs> there have been uh, interesting anecdotes at least of, uh, of video gaming becoming very addictive. There have been stories out in the media um, and I personally don't think there is any reason not to believe that we will see such things happening with virtual reality, uh, especially as it is a more immersive medium. You know, as we said before, you know, when you're on a video conference call or playing games on a 2D screen, you are, you know, you are naturally less immersed in the technology. You may feel quite immersed in it, but you're certainly more immersed when it mm -hmm. comes to actually you know, moving your head and being in that environment. Now, yeah. as for actual studies that I can reference, I don't have any off the top of my head at the moment, but you've definitely got me wanting to check them out. And mm. I've, got a, I've got a whole database of studies mm. relating to, uh, to VR and AR. So um, I think it's uh, Denise Williams asking this question particularly. I'll, I'll check it out for you, Denise, and, um, and let you know what I've got in, in the bank of studies that I have relating to research in the XR space. Mm. Excellent. Um, I just want to move, move you in another direction around. Um, we always ask this question because of the circumstance we're in. So, of course, you know, post pandemic, a lot of a lot of good things, um, a lot of not so good things going on. And um, one topical issue is education and children's education. And, uh, I, you know, I, I can't um, but think about the applications of this cool technology in helping children to learn. Uh, if you're a parent, if any parents on this session or on the replay will always say, gosh, it's been an absolute nightmare. You know, there was a good time. There was the first lockdown was fine at crafts and arts, and we were all enthusiastic about this amazing time with our children. Uh, the second lockdown got a bit worse, and the third one is like, you know, screw this, just go on Netflix, right? <laughs> it's, it, happens to, it happens to the best of us, right? Started with food. We were chefs in the first lockdown. Um, loved the takeaway. Third lockdown, we're like, I just ordered Domino's, whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, so tell us a little bit about any innovation that's going on with... Uh, school education first and, and other aspects, other sort of, you know, grades of education, but school education, why aren't we seeing AR, VR devices or AR, uh, VR being deployed in school education? Why is it still on a flat screen with Google Classroom? What's going on there? Any, any, any insights would be really helpful. Yeah, sure. So there is a lot of potential for virtual reality in education, uh, but there is not a lot of budget in education for innovative technologies. And as we saw before, you know, going back to 2016, though that those systems were not only expensive, but they were super complicated as well. Now, there were some things that helped in education. If anyone knows, um, there was uh, a, a design of virtual reality headset or, or, or let's say a head mounted display called, uh, called cardboard. It was called the Google cardboard because yeah. Google initiated the, uh, the first design. And I'm wondering if I, I do actually. Give me one second. I've got it right here. Um, and this will give you a little bit of an insight into what this was. But effectively, we, we are literally talking about a piece of cardboard, right? Mm -hmm. A piece of cardboard oh, wow. that has been cut in the right way, right? With two lenses attached to it, a yeah. little button there. And all that it is, is you open it up here and you've got the ability to slot a phone in there. So you slot your phone in, you close it up, and then you, you put it on your head, and you've got effectively a budget virtual reality device for you know, a couple of dollars now. Um, now that caught on quite a bit in education because of the low cost of the hardware. You, know, you only needed your, your, phone, your own phone to, to manage that. And Google created a lot of software to, uh, to support that. Things like Google Expeditions to allow teachers to take entire classrooms on, you know, field, virtual field trips to different locations around the world. And, um, you know, that's been, that's been quite amazing. But um, in terms of going a step up, 
the previously the next step up was you know getting um these kind of plastic chassis that you had to put a very specific phone into so if anyone heard of the samsung gear vr there yeah. were only a, a, a certain number of phones that would fit that um so that wasn't totally suitable because then you had to buy the phone which kind of negated the whole thing mm. the beautiful thing now is that because we have these standalone headsets in the market at such a low price i think that they will catch on quite a bit when it comes to education um and they'll potentially be able to be used in schools on mass and even if schools are not funding them we are now seeing millions of these headsets being sold in the consumer world and because they're in the consumer world they will naturally leak into yeah. education and i mean that in a very positive way there'll be a, educational applications will be created will be made available and that will help in situations like these when we've got panicked parents who are trying to figure out you know what's the best material to to keep my kids you know entertained but educated at the same time um the beautiful thing is as well there are organizations and startups in this space providing some content that can help from an education perspective and this is brand new news as well but just a day ago a company called uh, labster they secured 60 million dollars in series C funding from Andreessen Horowitz. Mm. Now Labster for those of you who don't know, they're kind of like a virtual lab science software and they have support for virtual reality as well. So effectively you can put on a virtual reality uh, device and have access to you know very expensive lab equipment and we were talking about democratization of education. This is the ultimate democratization of education because now your school or you yourself you don't have to find access or buy millions of dollars worth of lab equipment uh, to perform experiments and simulations you can actually do that within the software itself you know which has been built to respond in the same way as the real chemicals um, and machines would respond in real life so you can conduct your own experiments as as a student using this world class you know lab equipment from yes. the comfort of your own home using a device that costs you know 100 200 300 so yes. absolutely amazing progress is being made and i can only see this positively <clears throat> impacting the the educational world mm. so in in other words what you're saying is any if you think about it any physical activity or task that we as human beings have been doing for for a number of years um we can one can create that through software on a virtual reality device right so if you just imagine the uh impact of that on the way we live our lives given what we know with virtual existence now everyone's remote working and even when we are well again and the vaccines have been rolled out who knows to what extent we will do what we did Uh, pre-covid you know will we still yeah. meet the same way as frequently probably not because new habits have been created and so there's going to be a much greater dependency on new technologies to try and uh, feel more human uh, you know the challenge is we're not feeling human are we i mean we've been doing this for a long time now a year and it's good enough but i think we while we while we mentally distressed and uncomfortable because we 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 we're social creatures we like you know physical contact if we can't get the physical contact for whatever reason this is it feels like it's a bridge it's it feels like it's kind of the it's the halfway point the meeting point for us to feel a little bit more human right yeah. and can i and can i just say something there <clears throat> what you what you're saying af you know that the the simulation software the simulating things in the real world yeah. that it didn't take virtual reality technology to bring that to life we've had that for a while you know in terms of computer software but yeah. the difference is that with computer software we were always using you know a keyboard and a mouse as an interface a proxy to mm. that world that mm. simulation so mm. there was something of a distance you know a barrier between us and that supposed real life environment that we were mm. trying to recreate the wonders of virtual reality mean that we no longer have that proxy now yes we potentially have you know three dimensionally tracked controllers like this one mm -hmm. here right mm -hmm. but now even now the latest technology from that's that's come out of the virtual reality industry <laughs> is that we don't technically need controllers in a lot of situations now 
So I can literally put my hands up in front of my face while wearing a headset and my hands will be digitally recreated in that virtual world environment mm. in real time, fingers, wrists and all. Wow. So that creates that deeper connection to the simulation, to the real life. And that, as you were saying, makes it more human, makes it more realistic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just curious, uh, we have about five minutes left or so. What are some practical applications that you're using AR, VR at PwC, whether it's internal or even for some of your clients? <clears throat> How is a company like PwC using that today? Sure. Um, let me see if I can summarize a few of these examples. So, one I mentioned is virtual collaborations, meeting together in a more mm -hmm. impactful manner. Um, second one would be training, and training has a lot of sort of subsections underneath it. But uh, for example, uh, one form of training would be commercial acumen. You know, how do you deal with clients and how do you manage those relationships? Um, that is training that's, that's, that's uh, taken place <coughs> with hundreds uh, of members of our tax team, for example. So you might think virtual reality and tax, you know, I just can't see it. But no, it's already happening. And, you know, we have done it with, uh, with our tax team. Cybersecurity awareness. So for those of you who loved choose your own adventure type books, mm -hmm. this is the sort of training application for you. <laughs> Rick's mm -hmm. majorly into them. So the idea that we put you in a virtual reality cyber crisis your company's just Ooh. been hit. And Ooh. all of a sudden, you know, you're in an emergency boardroom meeting, the CFO's going off and, you know, you don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, people can't figure out how much data's been lost, where the leakage wow. came from, where the entry point was. And so you're going through this scenario, trying to figure things out, but mm. you're making decisions, pressured decisions wow. along the way. When you find out it's a ransomware attack, do you pay the Bitcoin on that ransomware attack or not? You have 10 seconds, go, you know, that sort of thing. And in virtual reality, and depending on what path you take, it takes you on a different storyline, mm. a different part of the narrative. Oh. So you get to see things that you wouldn't otherwise see every time you try it because you can choose a different path and see it from different <coughs> places. So that's cybersecurity awareness. We're using it for diversity and inclusion. How do you put yourself in the shoes of others, you know, and the, the challenges that they might have in the workplace, the microaggressions. And mm -hmm. for that, actually, this is a very, very new application for us. We've literally um, just started talking about it publicly. And we use some really cutting edge technology for this called volumetric capture. Now, for those of you who don't know this, I would describe there as being three types of content you can introduce in a virtual reality application. You've got 360 video, right? which is exactly like it sounds. It's a, a video camera in the real world, which captures the 360 degree field around you and gives that to you in virtual reality so you can look around. Mm -hmm. You can look around, but you can't move left, yeah. right, forward and back because there's no three dimensional information. It's just a flat mm -hmm. picture wrapped around you. Yeah. The next level, computer generated graphics. This is where you use game engines, like I was mentioning before, Unity mm -hmm. and Unreal, to build this stuff. You're building it from scratch. So the computer has that three-dimensional information. So you are able to look around and move around as well. Now we come on to the next bit, volumetric capture. This is where, imagine hundreds of cameras all around you, right? Taking a video at 30 or 60 frames a second, looking at scanning your every move so that all of the points all over your body are being scanned and they're being and the distance to the camera is being calculated mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the same time half of those cameras are taking a you know a load of pictures or, or video of you and with those two pieces of data you get a three-dimensional model from mm -hmm. the depth data of all those points and then the video texture is being slapped on to right. that three-dimensional model mm -hmm. so effectively what you're getting is a three-dimensional video of you. And this is really mm. like photorealistic that mm. you can bring into virtual world environments and make it feel really real, but at the same time, allow you that freedom to walk around that environment as, mm. well, as, walk, as well as look around. So we're using that technology in diversity and inclusion to try and create a more, a stronger sense of, of impactfulness and empathy when you're experiencing those situations. Mm. Wow, that's fantastic! 
it's like lived experience. You know, we talk about lived experiences, right? Mm-hmm. You've you've basically augmented lived experiences, and in the sense that I don't have to live the experiences anymore in real life because I can do it in my virtual life. And Absolutely. actually, actually feel like I'm doing it. Like you were talking about the lab experiments. I know people in my family, you know, one of, one of my, my nephew is uh, looking to do his med, med school next year. And actually med school is a nightmare because you can't do lab work, right? Which is the fundamental part of, of training a doctor. And so maybe Labster and similar solutions in other industries would probably be the, the you know, if not default, at least the second option if you can't get the real thing. Right. I mean, exactly. it's, it's, it's going to be so, a transmission makes a lot of sense, though, for anyone who's got half an imagination. What you're saying that, makes a lot of sense. And that connects to another point. Actually, I know we're out of time, but I'll mention this very quickly. Yeah, that is exactly the underlying idea of virtual reality. A lot of people fear that virtual reality is about replacing real life experiences. It's absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It's about giving you the opportunity to have those experiences where you would otherwise not be able to for health reasons, for, for time mm-hmm. reasons, for financial reasons, whatever it is. It, yeah. it's, a, it's an accessible technology mm-hmm. that promotes greater access and democratization to all of these different environments and experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One final, one final point to Rick's, Rick wrote a great book and uh, you have, and we want to talk about that very quickly, but you know, he wrote about the intu- decisive intuition to intuition essentially, which talks about all of the, the, the bits in your brain firing up or uh, dulling down, right? You know, your hippocampus, uh, hippocampus firing up more memory going in or your amygdala getting hijacked as he talks about it. But what you're basically saying is um, dopamine, cortisol, all of these things that affect the way we think about things and we deal with situations or we don't right we talk a lot about crisis and chaos you're saying essentially we can train our brain uh, before we go into live environments so we can be better people and we can be we can make friends with uncertainty um, in virtual environments so when we get into the physical environment it feels more normal in, in, in effect this is such a powerful technology if accessible to many of us absolutely right? and you know why that's true it's true because if anyone wants to test this out i've tested this out with loads of people on I I shouldn't really, but it was fun. Put them in virtual reality on the edge of a skyscraper or over overlooking a cliff. Now they know they're absolutely safe. They're in Mm -hmm. a room, the ground's beneath them. There Mm -hmm. is no danger to them at all, Mm -hmm. but few of them will be willing to walk off that cliff or that skyscraper Mm -hmm. virtually. And there will be genuine fear, you know, that's being ignited by that part of their brain. So it shows you the power of the technology, whether you want to engage with it or not. And that subconscious effect, that's what makes it really powerful. Yeah, I think from a psychological perspective, um, that makes so much sense. Um, We've always been doing, you know, desensitization processes and therapy and what have you. But to actually have a virtual reality to play that out on a whole nother level where you can't just easily go to a top of a skyscraper. Um, I'm even imagining if you have a lot of fear around speaking in public. And you're all of a sudden you have an audience of 5,000 people and you got to do your speech. And like, there's so many cool applications of this, of getting over your fears uh, through these desensitization portals like this. So just really cool to see and you're helping me connect the dots of the many ways this can be used. And there's probably a billion ones we haven't even talked about yet as well. So let's talk about, of course. Very exciting, Jeremy Dalton. Um, So can you tell us briefly about your work, your new book, and where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, I'm the author of a book called Reality Check. And I wrote this book because what I noticed from speaking to a lot of business leaders around the world is that there is a lot of misunderstanding around, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality, and what it can do and what it means Uh, a lot of misconceptions that it's all about entertainment, that it makes people sick all the time, you know, as we were talking about. So what I wanted to do is outline and finally put to rest this this sort of myth around virtual reality only being a gaming and entertainment medium and really crush a load of other myths and show people the value of this technology, its widespread nature across so many industries and back that up with corporate case studies academic research, Mm -hmm. um, as well as corporate reports, 
put that all into something, you know, a nice single place, you know, this book mm -hmm. and give it to people mm -hmm. so that we can finally all be on the same page nice. in terms of the, the power of this technology. If you want to check that out, uh, head over to realitycheckxr.com. Um, if you want to learn more about my work, you know, I post a lot about it on, on, on Twitter. Uh, I'm Jeremy Dalton XR on Twitter. And I'm also on, on LinkedIn as well. You can just put my name in there and PWC or Reality Check and you should be able to find me there. Definitely check out his new book um, in any all things AR, VR. Go to Jeremy Dalton, hunt him down. Definitely a wealth of resourceful information <clears throat> and love how you're so tuned into what's coming down the pipe in so many different ways of technology I'm here. I'm super excited about it, super excited. So thank you for being part of Straight Talk Live, for being part of our tribe now. Um, we're looking forward to our sample ocular glasses. So thank you for that too. Yeah. Oh, that's what I was going to come in with. I was going to come in with that. We're, we're partners. Um, right. So one, one, one thing I just want to mention, because anyway, we're over time, so we'll just go with it. So Jeremy, we have, you know, as you're myth busting, right? We have something called the Maverick Leaders Program in uh, Straight Talk Live. This is where we've cultivated and we're so fortunate. We've got some of the most incredible outlier thinkers guests included, by the way, but also who have not been on our show, but are just the next gen of leaders. So we chat on right now on WhatsApp. It's uh, we're probably going to migrate to a more secure platform. But for now, well, there's loads of collective mindshare going on. We'd love you to come onto that group um, because, delighted. yeah, so we'll we'll sort that out. And for the audience out there who haven't um, put you know, it's all free, by the way, because we're not for profit, obviously. But if you haven't um, subscribed to that, get onto the MLP Ma Maverick Leaders Program. It's straighttalk.life forward slash MLP. Tell us that you want to be part of this. We're having some incredible conversations on the on the WhatsApp group. So Jeremy's going to be there and we'll sort that out immediately. Um, Jeremy, amazing having you on the show. Got to bring you back because we've got many more questions that we didn't ask you. And so apologies to the guests who've posted on Facebook and stuff like that. We just didn't have enough time, but we will bring Jeremy back if he's up for it. Definitely. Thanks a lot for that. I really appreciate being on the show. <clears throat> Thank you, Jeremy, very much. And uh, for those of you who want to tune in next week, um, we have um, Gotham Makunda, who's author and fellow uh, research fellow and also host of the NASDAQ's World Reimagined podcast, uh, talking about hard choices in crisis from a leadership perspective. This is going to be a fantastic show on what's the internal psychology? How do we actually make those choices with all this flood of information coming our way? How do we slow down? And, and what are the, some of the key ways to deal with the crisis that we're all facing in different ways? So it's going to be a fantastic show. Thank you again, Jeremy Dalton and Af Moholtra. We'll do this again next week. Absolutely. Thanks, okay. Jeremy. Thanks, Rick. Be well. Bye -bye, guys. Cheers. All right.